Well, good morning, uh, guys and uh, gals. If we've got anybody tuning in, uh, 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 our lady friends, but we are glad that you have tuned in uh, to Men's Roundtable um, on October the 8th. Um, Joe, uh, our MC, um, is taking care of his sweet wife, Kelly. Uh, she is in the hospital, so we uh, want to be mindful of Joe and Kelly and uh, she's had some infection issues over a, a knee replacement, and they're uh, pumping her full of antibiotics and uh, trying to get the infection uh, cared for. So uh, hopefully that will go well, and just be praying for Joe and Kelly Barlow. Um, but um, I'm here in Fairhope, uh, me and the mosquitoes. Uh, I don't have anybody here on the patio with me this morning, but uh, since Hurricane Sally, uh, the mosquitoes have... Uh, showed up uh, and um, we will get mosquito authority that we use uh, out here to spray uh, today. They've already sprayed a couple times, but uh, the mosquito population uh, has uh, um, transcended uh, into um, Fairhope after Hurricane Sally. And can you believe it? Uh, we are facing Hurricane Delta. Uh, I, uh, so the Gulf uh, Shores and uh, Orange Beach has been evacuated from tourists, um, and uh, we're kind of hunkering down and hoping that uh, we don't get uh, bad uh, juju from Hurricane Delta. And uh, our friends over in Louisiana and Lake Charles and all that, certainly be praying for them. And all of uh, you guys in uh, Jackson may have more of a challenge with uh, Delta than we do uh, down here, since it's coming uh, right up through there. But um, interesting uh, weekend ahead. Um, so we want to get ourselves anchored uh, this morning, and um, I'm excited about our time together. So uh, let me open in a word of prayer for our time. Ask God to bless it. Father, we bow our heads uh, to um, start our time together this morning. Uh, not that the... Um, some sort of rule book says bow your head and pray, and that's the way we do it uh, legalistically, but uh, far, far more uh, um, reality that we know uh, that you are with us, and we bow our heads to physically acknowledge that you are king, um, and that we so desire um, that you would do your work in and through us. Um, our words are empty. Uh, but empowered uh, by you, our tongue becomes an instrument um, of your uh, good news uh, gospel. So I pray that you would guide us and that you would allow us um, to understand more clearly and um, more openly what you have for us even this day. So I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, be on the alert. Stand firm in your faith. Act like men. Be strong. The words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. So this morning, uh, I want to offer you a song. And um, we're going to start kind of a series within a series uh, at this point, and I'll say more about that um, later as, as we get started. But um, Audrey, uh, my daughter, um, sent me this song uh, last week, and uh, she ran across it, and um, it is a great song, and 
you know, it takes me back to much of John Eldridge's work um, in uh, Wild at Heart. And uh, Eldridge says in his book that in many ways, uh, that which we dreamed of being when we were little boys, when we were seven and eight and nine and ten, is more um, uh, true of who God intended us to be than oftentimes who we have become in our adult life. That there was a freedom and there was an imagination um, and that we wanted to be cowboys um, um, and soldiers. Uh, we wanted to be warriors. We wanted to be conquerors. And this song and the video, and I hope you, you can see the video uh, this morning, takes me back uh, to that. Let me read just a portion of the song, Into the Wild, by Josh Baldwin. There is a calling, and, and I believe that. There is a calling you've placed upon me, talking to God. I felt it all my life. Step out with both feet. Walk on the water. Leave my past behind. I want to follow. Follow your heart, your is capitalized, God's heart. In the face of the unknown, I want to trust you, capital letter Y. Trust who you are. When I let go, I'm halfway home. Into the wild, it's time to dream like a child again. Into the wild, letting go is where life begins. May you hear the voice of God, and may he open our hearts to what he has for us this morning. Into the wild, by Josh Baldwin.
Phil, you need Phil. You need to unmute, please. All right. How's that, Jeff? We good to go? Good to go. All right. Be on the alert. Stand firm in your faith. Act like men. Be strong. Again, the words from First Corinthians sixteen thirteen. We continue our series and our journey. Into the wilderness. Follow along with me as I read our opening paragraph. Into the wilderness, understanding and embracing the dark times of life. Words translated as wilderness occur nearly 300 times in the Bible. Wilderness seasons are brutal, but God is powerfully at work in the wilderness seasons of our lives. The only question is, do we have eyes to see it? In order for God to give us the choice whether or not to trust him, he must present us with a moment of crisis, and since he wants us to seek help from him, he brings us, he brings us, walks us through the wilderness to remove all other help first. He is a jealous God. He wants our complete allegiance. When we're in a wilderness season, it's easy to lose sight of God's protection, provision, and preparation. We might even wonder, how can I trust God's goodness when I'm in this desolate place? But remember Jesus. He went through the ultimate wilderness, the desolation and humiliation of dying under the curse of God. If that is the measure of God's love and commitment to us, we can trust him in our own wilderness seasons. Let's journey together. And so we continue, um, and... Um, we're starting a uh, kind of a series within this series of the wilderness uh, today. Uh, today marks uh, seven weeks um, before Thanksgiving. And um, the title of our session today is Seven Men Who Faced the Wilderness. And today 
I want to look at one man. Uh, his name is Gideon. And over the next six weeks, we'll look at six more men who uh, God used the wilderness in their life. Uh, last week, we, we kind of finished up uh, with the life of Moses and Moses' journey of having taken the children of Israel through 40 years of uh, wilderness experience to lead them over the Jordan. Um, and I want to take the next seven weeks before Thanksgiving and um, go through seven other biblical characters um, that God took through the wilderness um, to refine them and to grow them. And uh, a lot of my inspiration has come from um, two books. Um, I've, I've mentioned uh, Eric Metaxas to you uh, in the past, and um, uh, my encouragement to you is to download his podcast, and uh, you need to be familiar with Eric Metaxas and the numerous interviews. I mean, his, his podcast is interviews of um, all kinds of different uh, leaders and godly men and godly women. Uh, I love listening to him. And he's written two books that I've um, just finished reading. I've read both of these during the pandemic. Um, the first book, of course, is Seven Men and the Secret of Their Greatness. And then the other book is Seven More Men and the Secret of Their Greatness. And then he has uh, Seven Women um, uh, as a companion book to these. And so I was curious when I picked up those books, what seven men would he write about? And then in the second book, what additional seven men that he wrote about? So I've been inspired uh, by uh, these books, and I thought, well, how about let's do seven biblical characters uh, that God used the wilderness in, you know, in their lives. And so today, we're looking at Gideon. Um, so before we dig in uh, to the life of Gideon, I want you to pick up your pen. Uh, let's go to work. Uh, let's do some journaling. Engage deliberately and intentionally. So first question I have for you. I have three questions. First question what, re what relationship keeps you anchored in reality? What relationship keeps you anchored in reality? Now, I want you to think about that for just a minute. When chaos is going on, all hell seems to be uh, coming to the forefront, who do you talk to? You know, uh, I would think in many ways you would want to talk to your dad. Um, those of us who still have our fathers, you call up dad, say, dad, what should I do? I certainly hope you've got really good friends. You call up uh, a good friend. Hey, meet me at the coffee shop. Um, I just need to think out loud with you. But those of... Um, us who have been hanging out together on Thursday morning for the last 13 years, and again, we're in, a, in the baker's dozen uh, year of men's roundtable uh, over 13, uh, going on 13 years, um, is we know that every problem we have is a relationship problem. And I only worry about you, and you need to worry about me, when we find ourselves isolated, 
And, and, you know, the trouble with us as men, oftentimes we all agree with that generally. Yeah, everything's fine until it ain't fine. And all of a sudden we get in a dark place and it's the last thing we want to do is reach out to somebody else. Who is the who in your life? Now, when I even wrote this question, the first answer uh, that I had, the first thing I thought about is my wife, Carla. I mean, I'm telling you, it irritates the heck out of me how much she keeps me anchored in reality. I don't like it many times, but I love her for it. Uh, there's nobody that kind of keeps me humble and helps me not to think too much of myself than my wife. Uh, and I need that because, uh, uh, you know, I, I think pretty highly of myself. And um, I don't, at this time in my life, I don't lack for confidence, but I sure lack for wisdom in a lot of ways. And my sweet wife anchors me. And I've got good friends uh, that uh, help me to laugh at myself and not take myself too serious. And um, I count that a blessing. Um, so people, relationships, you've got to have people in your life. And that's part of why we're going through this series now, seven men uh, that God used um, the wilderness in their life. And, um, and so much of my growth I attribute to as a third grader. I, I still, I, you've heard me tell this story, as a third grader, um, Mrs. Taylor putting us in a line, because, you know, in, a in the third grade, you always go everywhere in a line, and she marched us down the hall to the library, and that's the first time I remember being in the library, and I remember being exposed in that little visit as a third grader um, in the library to the whole set of biographies of great Americans, and man, I dug in, and I read all of those. And I was, I was completely um, uh, transported into another life. And uh, I lived with all these great uh, biographies, and it inspired me, and it increased my vision of what God might even do in my life. What relationships keep you anchored in reality? Second question is how empowered are you to do what you know you need to do? Now, that, uh, it may not be readily apparent to you, but when I ask that question, that's kind of a counselor's uh, go-to question. Uh, whether I ask that question directly, just the way it's worded there or not, what I'm, what I'm typically looking for in a counseling setting is where is the power do you feel the power to do what you need to do do you feel powerless uh is the power in a in in the relationship um une uneven she has all the power he has all the power i feel powerless you know what's often the case in a humorous kind of way at least to my humor, um, is that oftentimes the one who has the power will often report that they feel powerless. And it's really kind of funny 
in a non-funny kind of way. It's like, wow, talk about a lack of self-awareness. They're the one controlling everything, um, and yet they feel powerless. And so what I want you to understand in this question is that we need to, we need to be able to acknowledge that wherever we are, that we truly do have a resource of power to draw from, and, and his name is Jesus, that I have the power to love my wife. I have the power to get through this wilderness experience. I have a power available to me, and I need not feel powerless. But again, how do we activate the power that God gives us by faith, walking by faith. The righteous man shall live by faith. So we all have power available to us, but we all feel powerless at different times. We need to draw from the resource that we have, and we'll see that in our study of Gideon this morning. And then finally, third question, who do you know that's in the wilderness? Moi. We all are. We're all in the wilderness. So let's journey together. So um, what I'd invite you to do is uh, turn over to the book of Judges. Probably have hung out in the book of Judges um, in a while. And interestingly enough, uh, this is the uh, book right after Joshua. And, uh, of course, Joshua is uh, records... Um, Obviously, um, the children of Israel crossing over the Jordan River, and then is followed by Judges. And we're going to pick up at um, um, chapter 6, and at the end of chapter 5, the passage just says, at, at the very end, Thus may all God's enemies perish, while his lovers be like the unclouded sun. The land was quiet for 40 years. So, Judges is, is a period where there was no king, of course, and man, the book of Judges is full of drugs, sex, and rock and roll, to just put it in, in contemporary terms. I mean, it's just like the, the phrase, if you know anything about Judges, that is the common phrase, and each man did what was right in his own eyes. I mean, self-absorption, narcissism, hedonism was the characteristic. And in and, and, and all through the book of Judges, it was like a roller coaster ride. For a few years, um, the people would repent and walk with God, and then they would be right back in the soup all over again. So in chapter 6, we come to this character named Gideon. And from Gideon... As is always the case, God intends to teach us some lessons. So, Gideon. So pick up with me, and we'll read verse 1. Gideon, yet again. <laughs> Once again, the roller coaster starts. Yet again. The people of Israel went back to doing evil in God's sight. God put them under the domination of Midian for seven years. So the immediate 
Midian overpowered Israel. Because of Midian, what did the people do? The people of Israel made for themselves hideouts in the mountains, caves, and forts. They hid. Now, that's some serious fig leaves. You know, we all know that the hiding began with Adam. We've been doing it ever since. And so the pe people are afraid. They're threatened by the Midianites. And they hide in caves and dug out holes, is what your study Bible says. When Israel planted the, its crops, Midian and Amalek, the Easterners, would invade them, camp in their fields, and destroy their crops all the way down to Gaza. They left nothing for them to live on, neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. Bringing their cattle and tents, they came in and took over like an invasion of locusts. It's like they just swept through the land, destroyed crops, farm animals, left it in desolation, and their camels passed counting. They marched in and devastated the country. The people of Israel, reduced to grinding poverty by Midian, cried out to God for help. They were in the wilderness. That's the wilderness. Once again, they're back in the soup because of their disobedience. But what they do here that's different in, uh, um, from the beginning of this passage, they were hiding, digging uh, holes to uh, hide out in, and then they finally, what did they do? They cried out to God. I, I, I never come to a, pa a, 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 a scripture like this without thinking of the prodigal son, um, that in um, Luke chapter 15, when it says the prodigal son had squandered his inheritance, it says in the Message Bible there in chapter 15 around verse 14, and he began to hurt. And he began to hurt. What do you do when you're in pain? What do you do? The Israelites finally did something really well in the midst of their pain. They cried out to God. Two things about that uh, simple phrase is that they cried out to God. First of all, they cried. I'm, I'm telling you guys, uh, the privilege that I've had for many, many years to sit with men and help a man who never cries, who was told by his father and his grandfathers, big boys don't cry, and help men grieve and cry and mourn and be sad as opposed to just be angry, man, it's so redemptive. I, I sat with a young man yesterday here on my patio, and I mean, he just started weeping and weeping. And he says, you know, I haven't cried. And if you heard his story, if I had the time to tell you his story, you would be crying. We would all be crying. And it's like, no, he does, he. But you know why he was sitting with me is because he has an anger issue. Again, sadness and grief is the antidote for anger. If you've got an anger problem, you need to figure out how to start crying, or have somebody once again that'll anchor you in reality to say, man, you have a reason to be sad, and yet you're using your anger as a way to protect yourself from the sadness, and that ain't going to work. 
wilderness. One time when the people of Israel had cried out to God because of Midian, God sent them a prophet with this message. God, the God of Israel, says, so he sends them a, a preacher, a spokesman, a prophet. I delivered you from Egypt. I freed you from life of slavery. I rescued you from Egypt's brutality. And then from every oppressor, I pushed them out of your land and gave, uh, pushed them out of your way and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am God, your God. Don't for a minute be afraid of the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But you didn't listen to me. And so God reminds them, I sent help, but you haven't listened. It's so important at, at this point, again, to just understand that where the children of Israel are, and, 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 and Gideon is, is, is no different, that we'll see here in just a minute when we meet him, is that there is doubt and fear. Which is oftentimes what characterizes the wilderness, the doubt and fear of being in the wilderness. So follow with me as we continue and watch what happens. One day, verse 11, one day the angel of God came and sat down under the oak of Oprah, Ophrah, then belong, that belonged to Joash the Abrazite, whose son Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress out of sight of the Midianites, out of sight. It's like, you know, he's, 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 he's threshing, uh, he's doing his job, and his head's on a swivel. I mean, he's like a bobblehead doll, you know. And he's looking all around for the Midianites to come running out of the bushes and to attack. And the angel of God appeared to him and said, God is with you, O mighty warrior. Now imagine Gideon hears this voice, God is with you, O mighty warrior. And it's just like, O mighty warrior, uh, 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 excuse me? Excuse me? It's like, who are you talking to? What's this? Gideon replied, with me, my master? <laughs> God is with me? If God is with us, why has all this happened to us? Wow. Now there's the question. If God is with us, why in the wide, wide world of sports are we going through what we're going through? You know, my idea of God being with me is not that I have to go through a wilderness and suffer and have these dad, uh, uh, dad gum Midianites, these mosquito bites, bi uh, bite me everywhere. It's like, that's not my idea of God being with me. Where are all the miracle wonders our parents and grandparents told us about telling us, didn't God deliver us from Egypt? And so, wow, Gideon knew the story of Moses. He knew that Red Sea, as we've talked about before, the Red Sea to the Old Testament character was, was the resurrection, um, as the resurrection is to us in this New Testament era. It's like, man, they kept pointing back. Man, if God could take him through the Red Sea, then he can get us through this. And what we say if my, uh, my goodness, if God rose from the dead, 
He can certainly get us through this. The resurrection means everything to us, as the Red Sea meant all to the Old Testament characters. The fact is, God has nothing to do with us, Gideon says. He has turned us over to Midian. Wow. You can't say that to God. Gideon, that's the angel of God. Man, God was challenging. God was challenging. Um, I'm not going to take the time, but, but, you know, if you get a minute, turn over to Psalm 44 and read uh, verses 17 through 26. Um, David is challenging God in that Psalm, Psalm 44, 17 through 26. And he basically says in that Psalm, uh, wake up, God. Why are you asleep? Why have you uh, been asleep? Can't you see that we're in trouble? And David does the same thing that Gideon does in this passage, in a sense. He challenges God. In verse 14, but God faced him directly. You know, God, you know, God looked him in the eyes. He faced him directly. He, God didn't go defensive. Um, go in this strength that is yours. Go in this strength that is yours. There's the power, guys. Just be yourself. Don't give in to your fears. Be who I've created you to be. Through the years in my counseling practice um, and, and in sitting in just over a cup of coffee and discipleship, I have said to many men, you know, I don't see you as the man that your failures tell you you are. I see you as the man who God has created you to be. You just need to be who God's created you to be. Just be you. And that which you have done is not you, but you're responsible for what you've done, but that doesn't define who you are. Save Israel from Midian. Haven't I just sent you? And then I love Gideon's response. Gideon said to him, me? Me, my master? How and with what could I ever save Israel? Look at me. Look at me. My clan's the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the runt of the litter. <laughs> I love the language. Me? You know? You know, remember the, the spies' report back to Moses? You know, in their eyes, we were like grasshoppers. It's like Gideon is saying, look, I'm a grasshopper. I'm not a warrior. I'm a grasshopper. God said to him, I'll be with you. Believe me, you'll defeat Midian as one man. Well, guys, God's method is to call us. He calls us every day. He calls me from sleep. He wakes me up. My feet go on the floor. And he says, Phil, get out of bed. I have a plan for your life today. He calls me. And it takes me a while to get out of this Gideon-like mindset, like, me? Me? And that's why I sit with my journal every morning. I start writing it out. I get my monkey brain back in the zoo. That's where it needs to be, back in the zoo, not roaming around out loose. Monkeys are in the zoo in my head. Need to be. And so it's the idea that Gideon, once again, looks um, at himself rather than God. 
but God has called a man. Now watch this and what happens here. Verse 17, Gideon said, if you're serious about this, do me a favor. Give me a sign to back up what you're telling me. Don't leave until I come back and bring you my gift. And he said, I'll wait till you get back. And Gideon went and prepared a young goat and a huge amount of unraised uh, bread. He used over half a bushel of flour. Wow, that's a lot of flour. He put the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot and took them back under the shade of the oak tree for a sacred meal. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and unraised bread, place them on the rock, and pour broth on them. Gideon did it. And the angel of God stretched out the tip of the stick he was holding and touched the meat and the bread, and fire broke out of the rock and burned up the meat and bread while the angel of God slipped away out of sight. And Gideon, and Gideon knew it was the angel of God. When was the last time God spoke to you? <laughs> you know, I've never heard God's audible voice, but many times I have sensed God speaking to me. And I mean, you know, we, we all laugh about the butterfly on my toe that I still believe was one of God's signs about us moving to Fairhope and buying this house in Fairhope, a butterfly on my toe. I know it sounds crazy, but man, it was just, I think God was in the butterfly. I don't know. But God speaks to us, again, not necessarily through an audible voice, but through his word, through the model of Jesus, the model of Gideon and, and many other men, and especially through men who love God and love us, and we look into their eyes and they tell us, no, Phil, don't, go, don't do that. Or yes, Phil, that seems, as best I can tell, a good direction. Never, 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 never make major decisions without many counselors, which is what Proverbs says. Life is relational. This whole thing that we call life is a team sport. You've got to have men in your life, and God uses them. So Gideon said, oh, no, Master God, I've seen the angel of God face to face. So now it kind of frightens him because now he's thinking, oh, my goodness, if I've seen God face to face, I'm going to be doomed. But God reassured him, easy now, don't panic. You won't die. Then Gideon built an altar there to God and named it God's peace. It's still called that at Ophrah of Ebizar. And then the passage goes on to where what Gideon does is he destroys the prophets of Baal, uh, the false gods, and God empowers him to accomplish his task. So Gideon models this idea. Okay, I have doubt and fear. I find myself in the wilderness. All of a sudden, I hear my phone ringing, my spiritual phone ringing. And God is calling me. He's calling me out. And his assurance of grace begins to be activated in my life. I start walking with him trusting him, believing him, being empowered by him. Gideon is such a model for us in the wilderness. I want to, I want to show you a clip, and again, this is right out of uh, Eric Metaxas's book that I was mentioning to you earlier. In um, his first book, Seven Men and the Secret of Their Greatness, um, the first uh, man that Eric Metaxas writes about in his book is George Washington. And man, there's been so much 
uh, written about is George was George Washington really a Christian? And uh, one of my early mentors, and the reason that I'm in Mississippi in many ways is because of uh, uh, Dr. Peter Lilbach and uh, Pete. Uh, um, and I were good friends in Philadelphia years ago. Um, Pete is now the uh, uh, president of Westminster Seminary. And Peter suggested that when we were looking at a counseling program that we look at Reformed Theological Seminary. And so that's how we uh, met Dr. Jim Hurley and came to be at RTS was through Pete Lilbach. Pete Lilbach has done a monstrous book on uh, George Washington with the whole intent of proving that uh, George Washington truly was a Christian. Sacred Fire, I've read the book by Peter Lilbach, um, and I'll show you this book. It's a, it's, a, it's a large book. A third of the book is footnotes and research. So the actual reading is not as big as it appears, but he wanted to make sure that it was clear that George Washington truly was a godly model for our nation and for our lives. I you to watch this clip, Peter Lilbach being interviewed about his book, Sacred Fire. This is just such a tremendous book. And I, I want to talk to you a little bit about, because what you do in this book is you say, okay, here's, here's the theory that you read about in the history books. And uh, they say this. And then you just, it's, it's an avalanche of information i mean it's just it's it's startling there's so much proof that they're wrong and it's all footnoted when you were writing this about um uh george washington uh when you first saw this stuff did you did you have any idea on how wrong they have gotten george washington the only way i knew washington was through his writers through his historians and everyone said he was a deist. He mocked the scriptures. He only used it for humor, if he ever did. And then, hang on just a second. In case you don't know what a deist is, because it's not real popular. And they weren't back then either, no. right? Um, a, a deist is somebody who believes in God as a watchmaker. That he just, he started things rolling, and then, okay, have a good time, guys. I'm going to go over here and play pool. And so it's just a machine that's running now. He doesn't believe, that, doesn't believe in Jesus or anything else, right? Okay. So if you're a deist, why bother to pray? Why do you need a clergyman? Why do you right. need religion? Because right. God's, God had started, he's gone. I was convinced, because I had read scholars, that that was the case, and my heart was really kind of dis despairing. Mm -hmm. And I started reading the quotes that those very authors had, and I said, wait a second. That text they're using to support Washington as unbeliever that he wrote has a Bible verse in it. But apparently the scholars who were reading didn't know what the Bible was. Well, if you don't read the Bible, how are you going to recognize a Bible verse? It's like the Declaration of Independence. It's riddled with Bible verses. That's right. It's riddled with them. So, so I started going through, and lo and behold, in the very books that were advertising the unbelief of Washington in his texts, there they were, filled with reference. I said, these guys don't see what they're seeing. They can't be right. And so I was astounded by the time, 15 years later, working on it, just how much material there is to show that he had a vibrant, personal Anglican or Episcopalian right. Christian faith. So you believe that this was a error of history, um, that they just didn't know, or this was a uh, 
purposeful change in him? I think there's an element of both. We can really see a shift that occurred at the bicentennial celebration of Washington's birth. That's in the early 1900s, 1930. Wait a minute, the Progressive Era? The Progressive Era. Who would have guessed that? <laughs> That's weird, okay. In other words, a devout, evangelical, Christian founding father didn't play well for those that wanted to move beyond Christian influence in government, right. Western civilization. So they needed a more secular Washington, and scholars found a way to present him in that form. I have to tell you, I know um, what is on top of the Washington Memorial, and I know the stairs, but the way you describe it, um, I'm going to see if I can take the cameras into the Washington uh, Memorial, um, because it, it needs to be seen, and I think there's a reason it's not seen anymore. Explain what's on the top of the... Washington Memorial in Washington. The high, nothing can be built higher than this right. for this reason. And the stairs. So here's this obelisk that towers over the great city of Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. And every morning as the sun comes up, it gets to see only the words that God and the sun can see. And it's in Latin, praise to God. In other words, here was a life who said his whole goal was to bring praise and glory to God. That's Washington's own words. He said, that's the passion of my heart is to bring honor to God who made me. The and stairs. The stairs as you walk up. You can't walk up them today. They won't let, they'll make you take the elevator. Of course, they think your heart can't handle it. Sure. I think it's a form of historical revisionism. They don't want you to see as you go up the stairs that there are Bible verses from the Proverbs all the way up to the top that were supplied by American people as they built that building as a Each testimony state of faith. And, and different organizations built right. it, right? So it's filled with different regions with scriptural messages filled to the glory of God, reflecting the kind of faith that America had, believing consistent with their founding father. I hope you can get the cameras in there and show them something. Yeah, you I, need to show the nation will. because it's extraordinary. We will. It, now, I, apparently, I can't prove this, but I've heard that there is a copy of the top of the Washington Monument that's on display in a museum in Washington, but it has been carefully turned so you can't see the Latin words, so you won't have the ability Tiffany? to ask. Tiffany, our yes. executive producer, will you find out if that's true or not? We will find out if that's All true. All right. Watchdogs. I've heard that said email. so many times, it must be true. So what I would love to have happen is to say, all right, you keep hiding the text that's on the top, but let's put a camera over and see what you're not letting anyone else see. Okay. Back in just a second. Wow. Wow. I, I hope you're inspired by that. Jeff, am I unmuted? Am I good? You're, yeah, you're good. You're good. Okay, good. Um, I hope you're inspired by that. Again, great men, biblically and great men of history, is intended to inspire us on our journey. So, again, let's jump back over here in just a few minutes that we have left, and I'll, and I'll finish up. What are the lessons that we learn from Gideon? First of all, we are intended to see through Gideon that God is with us. There is no more powerful message that you and I need to hear that when we get up every morning knowing that we can hear the voice of God in our hearts, I am with you. I am with you. Moses modeled that in the name uh, Emmanuel. That is, a tr that, that is connected to Jesus, uh, denotes this whole idea of God with us. 
And then, and then secondly, once again, as we see through the life of Gideon, that God empowers us. There is power um, in his name. There is power available this day, no matter what you're facing. Every day, no matter what you're facing, there is power to do what you need to do, to love those you uh, need to love, to love those uh, that are uh, saying negative things uh, about you. Love is empowered in us by the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, um, God speaks. God speaks that there is his voice that we hear. We listen to his voice. He is always active. He was clearly active in Gideon's life. He is active in our life today, and especially he speaks through his word. Get into his word every day, hear his voice. And then finally, God provides. He provided a new Moses, if you will, through Gideon. He, he provides a way out. He provides deliverance. He, he provides healing. I believe that every day. As I often tell the um, clients that come to see me, there's only one problem that cannot be resolved, and that is the one that you won't face. But if we face the enemy in whatever form he comes, God provides a way. God is with us. He empowers us. He speaks to us. And he provides a means. May that put a kick in your step today as we continue through the wilderness. Let me pray. Father, thank you again uh, for giving us the model of Gideon, the model of George Washington, the model of mentors and teachers and fathers and coaches and friends that guide us. We love you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. See you next week.